1: Welcome in the latest episode of five on the floor on the five reason sports network. Also on dash radio. If you're not listening to us there, make sure that you download dash radio and then search for nothing but net. That channel will get us every day from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Pacific. Also check out FiveReasonSports.com for all of Brady Hawks latest takeaways. He does them right after the games end and also right after the press conferences end. So you get, uh, two stories immediately on our website, and unlike everybody else, we are free. We also give you our other podcasts there, including Three Yards Per Carry. Tua is throwing on the field. I know everybody's interested in that. Five Rings Canes. In case the Canes do play this season, got to check that out. Plus Cast, Light Skin Opinion, Shulable, and more. Also, check out all the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network. And if I sound happy right now, it's because I, I actually went out to the, uh, the Miramar Pines area today. So I had an opportunity to catch up with Matt Perdomo, and he unloaded his car on me of Biscayne Bay Brewing, and I, in fact, tried to get it to ALF, but he was not available afterwards. The official craft beer of Inter-Miami, the Miami Marlins, and five reasons sports network it is filling up my car right now this is south florida's actual independent brewery don't worry i won't open it and won't drink it before i drive biscayne bay is owned by local guys who employ people in this community to make their beer right here in south florida these guys are committed to our community and to supporting five reasons sports so we can keep bringing you all the local sports content that you can handle if you care about supporting local business and drinking amazing beer Grab their stuff, Marlins Lager, Miami Pale Ale, and Tropical Bay IPA. I'm overflowing with that right now at all major retailers throughout South Florida. It's the beer we're drinking at Five Reason Sports. And now, today's episode.
0: Welcome to Five on the Floor, a Miami Heat and NBA podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick with Albon Sidney, a.k.a. Al954. Brought to you by the Five Reasons Sports Network.
1: All right, Ethan Skoldick back on Five on the Floor. Here's today's floor plan. We're getting you ready for Heat Pacers in every way imaginable. We've got two guests, two of the best, covering the Indiana Pacers, two people I've known for a long, long time. I won't hold Scott Agnes' friendships against him, but we've got him first, and then we're gonna have J. Michael Falgost, who has a similar friendship. Uh, He's gonna be on with us a little bit later in the episode. We've got a full boat today. This is really five on the floor. I've got Alphonse Sidney, Alex Toledo, Greg Sylvander, Scott Agnes, and myself. Scott, I know you've worked for some different outlets. Who are you uh, working for these days, and sort of your general thoughts before we get into the specifics of it on this series?
2: Yeah, hey, Ethan, good to be uh, on with you guys. So I was with The Athletic, but then I was part of that cut. So I continued on, launched my own site, FieldhouseFiles.com, the Fieldhouse Files podcast uh, for Pacers coverage. And and this matchup, it'll be fun. It kind of brings back a little bit of those 2013-2014 matchups, um, although those were obviously controlled um, by the Miami Heat here, and the Heat have won all three of the series, season series um, this year. But it'll be just interesting, I think, how how this matchup shakes up, and that the Pacers beat up injuries. Sabonis isn't in the bubble, Jeremy Lamb's out, Victor's not himself, um, and Bam Adebayo uh, has eaten them up alive. So I think he's I think he's the key factor in all of this. So let's get to you on this. Uh, let's start with you here, Alex. Uh, when you look at this
1: matchup, I, I pulled this today to Heat fans, and cocky Heat fan is back because um, <laughs> I asked, you know, which of these four guys concerns you the most, Oladipo, uh, Warren Brogdon, or Turner, and although uh, although Oladipo won with about 50%, most of the responses mm-hmm. were no one. Uh, wow. you, have, you have pretty much taken a similar posture on this uh, <laughs> throughout our recent episodes is there anything that can change your mind?
3: Well, yes, I was actually just talking about it with somebody else that ever since uh, we finally – I mean, we, we kind of first got the the confirmation of the matchup of Heat Pacers. I was kind of, you know, like Heat in five. I wasn't very scared after that matchup where Jimmy pretty much neutralized T.J. Warren for most of that game and a lot of their threats and what they get to on offense. Uh, the Pacers didn't look like a defensive powerhouse, even though, you know, it's, it's not like Sabonis, uh, his – you know, his being out really affects their defense. So I thought that was weird. I think that's something that's going to be, you know, I'm looking forward to. But at the end of the day, the real matchup problem here, if you're just talking about one-on-one, it's Brogdon. I think uh, we've known all year the point guard defense has been a big weakness for the Heat. And I think there's going to be a lot of times where he gets to one-on-one stuff uh, with Kendrick Nunn. I think they're going to kind of encourage Brogdon to do that because he's just bigger. And I think that's who they're going to slide Kendrick Nunn on if he guards or Goran Dragic on if uh, he starts instead and i think either way that's a, a mismatch in brogdon's favor i think they're going to go to that because a lot of times they're getting switches and they're getting bam or somebody else uh you know switching onto these guys so i think they're, they're going to encourage a lot of okay let's uh stop using miles turner on screens and let's like some of these guys get to work and i think they can kind of do that with oladipo and warren as well but brogdon stands out the most to me uh just looking at the matchups
1: i, I want to bring scott, scott and greg in on this uh the Brogdon-Oladipo backcourt, it seemed before the season that it had a lot of promise. And then, obviously, you got Vic coming back from injuries. You had Malcolm playing at a really high level and then getting hurt. Scott, where are they with that? I mean, what is their chemistry like? And I guess to you, Greg, after that, we've talked about the point of attack problems that the Heat have had all year. Uh, how big a problem do they pose?
2: Yeah, so Ethan, it's that relationship, that backcourt, it's still in its very infancy, right? Because during the regular season, they played less than 90 minutes together. Um, because of Oladipo's injuries, and then right when Victor came back, Malcolm suffered this hip muscle quad injury that ruled him out indefinitely, and so actually delaying the season helped him to become a, as 100% as he could become, um, but they haven't got a ton of work together, mostly limited to what we've seen in the seeding round games, and Victor, clearly not himself just yet. Malcolm's been bothered by a neck strain that he suffered um, during, during one of those early um, seeding round games, so there's not a lot of takeaways just yet out of that backcourt, but I think what we've seen is like you talked about earlier is nothing about this team is flashier jumps out at you. What it is is it could be a different guy every night. It could be Victor goes off for 25. Then TJ Warren has a good game. Then Malcolm Brogdon hits four threes in a game. That's I think, Probably the biggest concern I would look at with the Pacers is that any, any one of them could go off, whereas I see somebody like the Heat as a team that you know what Jimmy's going to give you. Bam's always solid against the Pacers, giving you a double-double. And then I think a real X factor probably becomes a guy like Duncan Robinson who can erupt from downtown, and the Pacers do not have – while they shoot it well from downtown, they just do not shoot a lot of threes. They're last in the league in attempts. So they don't want to get into that back-and-forth game from beyond the three-point line.
1: Uh, Greg, uh, w- w- again, the, the Brogdon thing, uh, I was surprised at how many Heat fans picked him. Uh, but I feel like some of that is, and I'll bring Alfin on this too, I, I, I feel like some of that is that they don't know the name as well, <laughs> even though he was working Year. So there's a little bit of that random scrub Heat killer thing, even though Malcolm Brogdon is not a scrub. Uh, is, is that just like...
3: Borderline all-star this year, by the way.
1: Well, no, I know it. But for, in Heat fans' eyes, oh, deep, you know, again, we have, we have a pretty no, educated that's for, the heat, that's for, for the, the heat fans. for the Heat fans. And, right, but I'm saying all the deep over TJ we just saw bubble <laughs> TJ. I mean, so Alf, how concerned should we be about Malcolm Brogdon?
4: I think the Heat should be really concerned, right? Cuz we you you just mentioned the point of attack defense. Um I don't think Brogdon has the speed of some of the guards that have bothered uh the Heat recently, but I mean, he's still a force to be reckoned with and you really don't have a guard defender that you can um that you can really rely on when it comes to him. So I think the, the the lack of this lack of speed there makes things a little bit easier on them, but he's still super crafty. Um, he maybe uh, like Scott was saying, the next train is bothering him, and maybe he's not going to be himself. But if Brogdon is who he has been all year, yeah, that's a huge issue. And a- anytime the Heat play a team with a uh, with a good point guard, it's going to be an issue.
1: Um, let's get to TJ Warren here for a second because Jimmy Butler came out today and was was basically like this is not about me. Uh, it's not about that matchup. Uh, but of course he's made it about that matchup. I mean he was you know he was playing a song with you know with lyric trash in it on Instagram after essentially shutting him down. I want to go at this from from TJ's perspective because we only get Jimmy's perspective on this. How much have you dealt with TJ Scott? And how personally do you think he's taking this? And how do you think he'll come out from it? Because we have seen when Jimmy gets in guys' heads sometimes they don't react to it all that well.
2: Yeah, so TJ joined the Pacers this summer. The first time I, last summer, the first time I talked to him was out at, out at Summer League. And he's a very quiet guy, like even within the locker room and within, to, within his teammates, right? He's a guy that's not going to go play golf while they're at the bubble. He's going to watch highlights on YouTube. And so I was talking with him today, asking him about preparing for this matchup. And by the way, this is his first playoff series he was in Phoenix. So he has never even experienced anything like it. And so the unfortunate thing for him is he starts his playoff career in a bubble where there's no fans. But actually, I think that benefits him because he's not about everything that I see Jimmy being about is performing, putting on a show, going to Instagram, pleasing the fans. Um, A guy like TJ Warren's a guy that just wants to play basketball. He just wants to ball. And so While, if anything, the biggest thing that might interrupt what he's trying to do is having to do more media sessions and answer more questions because he has been balling out. But I think he probably has gotten a little bit frustrated with not only this last game that, that they both played, but really what has gone on all season long because they had contained him. He didn't play well. He scored three points in that game in Indiana where it kind of erupted where he got ejected. Um, And so that's something he has to be cautious of, but it's something Nate McMillan Pacers head coach didn't even address with him before the last game, because it's really a non-issue. I think it's more something that fans uh, like to talk about more than anything,
1: but Scott, why did it even happen? I mean, that's my question. Like if TJ is such a quiet guy that doesn't get into this kind of stuff, like because
2: he was disrespected on the, on the court, TJ Mm -hmm. was trying to slow him down. I think it goes back to that December meeting when those two got tangled a little bit. We also saw, TJ draw an offensive foul on Jimmy and then Jimmy get upset and I, I just take it as a he, he felt like he was called out individually right to, to, to say um hear Jimmy say you're trash I would laugh at any coach that thinks you know I can't guard him or things like that as he said in Indiana I think he just takes it as a personal attack he doesn't get caught up in the the social media aspect or looking better it's just he heard himself be called out that's all
3: Okay, uh, Scott, I had one thing to ask you. So we were just talking about which kind of perimeter threat we're most scared of for the Heat because like we've mentioned a couple times already, the perimeter defense has been very shaky all season. They were starting Myers Leonard, now they're not. So that's kind of made things a little bit cleaner for them uh, on defense along with the fact that Kendrick Nunn missed a lot of time who was one of, uh, you know, him and Goran Dragic, both of their point guards are bad defenders. So naturally that kind of made them a cleaner defense. But it will be back to being a problem if both of them are getting playing time And that's why I tend to lean to Brogdon. But I'm basically saying this to say, how do you feel about Victor Oladipo, where he stands right now specifically? Because I think he's a real X factor here. And I'm not, it kind of seems like the obvious take because he's the guy who we all thought they were kind of building around. Now they have multiple kind of borderline all-stars with uh, him, Brogdon, and and, uh, Sabonis, who actually made the team. But if Oladipo, who has been making jump shots, can actually like get to the paint consistently, We know that that's a way that he can kind of uh, beat Miami because we assume that they're going to have Jimmy on TJ Warren, being that they start small. But it could be that they put Jay Crowder on TJ Warren and they put Jimmy on Oladipo to kind of make sure that he doesn't get to the paint. How do you feel about uh, the way that he's looked in that specific aspect of his game that relies on athleticism, as we know?
2: Yeah, so first of all, I think this is a, a tough one for the Pacers' wings because they don't have a lot of speed. Um, and I, I look at the Heat as a team that has a lot of different bodies, like different matchups they could throw at a guy. I even go back to former Pacer draft pick Solomon Hill. He could play some defense. Jay Crowder can, can D up a little bit. They have bodies that can defend guys like a TJ Warren or, or Victor out on the wing. But I do want to know also with Malcolm, by the way, he was playing in all-star form till about December. And then now he's had eight injuries, if you include even COVID in that. And so he hasn't really completely been himself since probably 2020 got started. Until then, you guys were absolutely right. He was having an all-star-like season. Now, with Victor in particular, I thought the last game that he played in two games ago, um, he looked the most confident that he had, had looked since he had returned. But he shot poorly. He was something like 4 of 27. So the shot hadn't been exactly there. He does have a deep shot. He loves throwing up there. Um, but I did like the fact that he doesn't, didn't hesitate um, doing his step back. He didn't hesitate trying to get to the basket because that's his game. It's trying to beat his guy off the dribble and either finish or, or, or dish off to an open guy, maybe a corner three in Justin Holliday. Um, so we're beginning to see more of that. But I would agree with you as well that I kind of view him as the Pacers X factor more so because he has the potential to do so much more. I think TJ Warren is a pretty steady guy. The 53 points is more of an exception than the rule. He's, he was the team's leading scorer this year, but I think he's more of a 20-point-per-game score, whereas Victor maybe could get 20, 25, 30 um, potentially if he plays that 37 minutes, whereas um, I think also what we've seen too is that defense – with Sabonis being out of there, they're playing more of a spread offense, less yep. dribble handoffs, less pick and rolls, and more bringing everybody out and spreading them around.
4: Yeah, I think um, to me the Old Depot thing is the most interesting because I feel like the Heat have so many guys that they can throw at TJ Warren to slow him down. I don't really think the Heat have a guy that if Victor Oladipo is having a night, um, that I mean, I think he's a little too quick for Jimmy. Um, and then you know if Derek Jones Jr. is not going to be available for the first few games of the series, I think Vic is going to be a huge, huge problem. Like Scott, what do you think are the are the prospects of seeing, you know, a, a not even hundred? We know he's not going to be one hundred percent, but an eighty-five, ninety, ninety percent uh, Victor Oladipo in the series?
2: Yeah, Alpha, I think there's a chance we see it. Uh, uh, A very good Victor Oladipo probably for a couple of games. I think that's probably the the most predictable outcome here. Um, He continues to get better with with more more and more playing time. But I think there's a confidence, you know, just going through the motions. We saw him try to go for a dunk and totally get rejected. But I was encouraged by the fact that he was willing to throw his body out there and even give it a try. Um, but I, I think he's kind of taken more of a role of a facilitator, and then take what the defense gives him um, at this point. Because I mean, go back to this—the the last game, he was two for twelve from three-point range, and the three-point shot he was—he was working on his shooting, you know, five days after surgery, and where he's more than eighteen months removed from that. So the shot I expect to be there while it exactly hasn't yet, um, and the fact that the Heat are able to throw so many different looks at him, throw so many different bodies at him, uh, I. Think think it's going to be a challenge but I know he's up for it and I'm sure it's something you guys will address at some point but it's something the Pacers are, Pacer fans are talking about is the dilemma of you know how much is he considering you know his offseason and, and does he want to play for the Miami Heat down the road obviously that's where he spent his last couple of off seasons and trains and everything even has a gym down there so there's external motivations I think that that are discussed here in Indianapolis
4: what Let's about in. without Sabonis, bonus um, the lack of rebounding is that something that uh like pacers fan, pacer fans and people with the pacers are concerned about because <laughs> the lack of size with that team Miami has a uh, has a has a trouble with teams with a lot of size there's not a lot of size on, in, in Indiana right now so is that something Where, how are they addressing the rebounding concerns?
2: So rebounds have been a a grave concern, even if you include Sabonis in there. It's been a problem, I would probably say, for the last four or five years. Like, this isn't anything new, in fact. But him being away, that's double-digit rebounder. He, he already set the franchise record for double-double. So he, it was a given what Sabonis would give, give this Pacers team every single night. And right now, he's out of the bubble. He's in L.A. trying to rehab some plantar fasciitis in his left foot. So you don't expect him back. So what the team is trying to do is – what they keep preaching is that it's, it's on the guards more than anything. Um, they need, those guys need to crash rather than staying out on the perimeter. And, and to your point, Alf, the fact that Pacers do not have much size. Going into the season, they were starting two centers. Now in the playoffs, they really only have one because Sabonis is out and the other one is Goga Bataze, who's been limited all season with knee soreness, and he's a rookie. So the last thing you want to do is throw him into the fold and do a playoff series when he has no idea of what to expect and would probably get worked in the post.
1: All right, so that I want to follow there because the one big that they do have um, has a lot of potential, and he's a guy who who I know Heat fans liked quite a bit when he came in. Um, in fact, some you know were projecting, or well, maybe he might end up with Miami down the road. But there also seems to be some friction between him and the Heat's big guy. Um, I don't know if it predated Bam Adebayo going out to Vegas uh, for the U.S. team, or whether it happened there. But I, I've just heard a lot about it. And Bam was asked about him, um, I guess it was yesterday, and you know, again, said you know he was asked if he was like a Miles Turner like player, and he said, "I believe I'm one of one," um, which is of course his Twitter handle. Do you know anything about a beef from Miles aside? Because I have heard that there's tension, and Bam doesn't have tension with anybody.
2: No, I don't. The only thing that like you mentioned, Ethan, is the fact that Miles got that nod for Team USA this past summer. He was able to go with the team and was a key starter, actually, um, for that group for much of the time. And I think Bam probably felt a little bit disrespected about that, especially considering he kind of wins the head-to-head matchups every single time. But I don't know anything that goes back before last summer. Sorry, I was going to let Alex jump in.
3: (laughs) Oh, my bad. I mean, I was waiting for you to kind of say something. It's bad that Leif uh, had to jump off here because of technical issues. But uh, Greg, and you are really the insiders here, and I wanted to see what you guys were comfortable with talking about with Bam and Miles Turner, because uh, and then also it's actually relevant because we had that quote recently where Bam was asked about Miles Turner, and I don't remember exactly what the context was, but he was talking about how he's one of one, like he says in his uh, what is it his Twitter handle or his Instagram handle, and he kind of like breaks it down and And I don't know, I, I do think that it's kind of like a secondary angle. everybody's kind of focused on the Jimmy T. J. Warren one that pretty was it seems like it was more just like a one game heat up than an actual you know beef but the bam and miles turner one is interesting to me and i think it also is kind of like whoever wins that matchup might really swing the series but my real question here was going to be about the fact that the heat's defense although they're not dropping back as much as they used to because they're not starting myers bennard anymore they're doing a little bit more switching now uh They allow a lot of threes. They allow a lot of mid-range shots. And I know the Pacers, like you said earlier, don't really take a lot of threes, but they are very efficient at the ones that they do take. They're very deliberate in that way. They do, like their main perimeter weapons, do kind of prefer some comfier mid-range shots. I think they're not really pull-up three guys. I think that's something that could really swing the series the Pacers' way if they take advantage of that and really just become more aggressive with taking threes. And I think they will be there a lot of times because of the Heat's three-point defense. And... How do you feel about where they stand as far as their mid range and three point shooting and how that could change, especially now that they're playing a five out lineup?
2: Yeah, so the Pacers are one of those teams that don't mind the mid range, much like even Philadelphia
3: is. They're not discouraged. like second at all. In, in usage, right? Like behind the Spurs or something like that?
2: Yeah, they're encouraging it. And a and guy that is, is TJ Warren. That's where he normally gets most of his baskets. I know he's shooting better than like 52% from three during the seeding round, but. The majority of what he gets is kind of inside the paint, runners right, in, right around the free throw line, where most teams, sure, go ahead and take that. We don't mind. Um, and so they're all for that. They just want to take the, the best open shot. Um, and so they will take the three, too. But they're last in attempts, fewer than 30 per game. Um, I think they're like top 15 in percentage, so nothing spectacular. Um, But they're going to have to consider that. The one thing I know a lot of us are wondering about, too, is how much zone, if any, will we see from the Miami Heat? Because that's something they played right more than any other team, it seemed like, in the league. But they didn't show it last game. And a couple changes – defensively for the Pacers that are noteworthy I want to share is the fact that they've been switching a ton more this year than ever before and also on top of that um, what they've tried is um, occasionally coming out of zone so maybe out of timeouts or the start of quarters is they'll throw a little 3-2 zone not much but some just to try to throw off a possession or two.
4: So, so speaking of T.J. Warren and um, the mid-range game what, what do they have to do to get him going? Um, because it just doesn't seem like this matchup uh, works well for him just because you got Jimmy Butler, you got Jay Crowder, you got Andre Godala, even guys like Solomon Hill. You just have so many big wings that can, that can uh, throw him off of his game. And I don't know if it's a mental thing or what because it, he didn't seem to have a problem with any other team in the bubble, but he's, he's had issues just playing with Miami, against Miami all season long. What do they have to do to get TJ going?
2: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is probably just not to force it, just to let him play his game. Because um, he's a guy that's very much kind of go with the flow, take what the defense gives me here. They're not going to run a ton of sets necessarily for him, although that is something they have done more of with Sabonis out. And he's of course, benefited with more operating space, right? So instead of having what they were doing with Miles Turner kind of in that short corner, um, just basically taking up space, and then Damana Sabonis at one of the elbows – well, those that's kind of the area where Sabonis was where Warren likes to operate. So now you're clearing that away, which allows, I think, Warren to thrive a little bit. But you're absolutely right. With so many different bodies, they can show, show Warren a little, um, so many different looks, I think, out there. And so I just think in short, it's just important for them not to force it, not to stress it, just to kind of let, allow Warren to go get his like he has done all season long and not to not to make a a key issue out of it and in fact actually get others going which should reduce the pressure um, of TJ Warren and how much they need for him because if you can get Miles Turner knocking down some threes and and Malcolm Brogdon maybe hit three or four a game then you really like the Pacers chances and the other key thing is that second unit? Because the Pacers, I thought, had one of the best second units in the league until all these injuries. Now you move Aaron Holiday to the starting lineup, so you're going much smaller. Sabonis was the central hub to that second unit. A lot of dribble handoffs with Doug McDermott. Um, a lot of passes to the corner with Justin Holiday, who's shooting better than 40% from three. So Sabonis being out. Is a, a huge factor with that second unit, and they quite, quite honestly have not played well at all, really, in the bubble, maybe excluding the last game or two.
1: Well, what's weird about all this is that you know, we, we talk about they haven't played well, uh, the Pacers in some areas have struggled, the Heat, you know, I think we feel have played pretty well. The Pacers had a better record in the bubble and ended up getting the fourth seed. I, I know it wasn't, you know, the Heat's primary focus, uh, and some of the underlying numbers for the Heat are pretty good. But the records kind of belie a lot of what we talked about here. Uh, I want to finish with you here, Scott, and then we're going to bring J. Michael um, on to talk about some things. Our our guy Greg Sylvander was on earlier, had some technical issues, but one of the things he talked about a lot with the Pacers coming in was, where is the heat? This felt very much like they were trying to get something accomplished in the bubble. The sense that he got talking to some around the Pacers camp was that they were just kind of trying to get through this uh, whole bubble thing. That it, it was, maybe the focus is not, kind of trying to contend for a championship this year. But again, they're in the four seed. Um, they're going to be in a competitive playoff series. How much do you think this means to them? And also uh, what, what are your, what has to happen for them to win this series? Cause we keep looking at it from the heat's perspective.
2: Yeah. So for one, I, I don't look at it. This is kind of a throwaway. Like we're just making an appearance cause we need to finish the season. Um, because what I look at it is this group, excluding Justin holiday, the, Everybody in the rotation is under contract for next season. So what they're trying to do is build upon this, and this is a, a team that hasn't advanced past the first round, Ethan, since they met the Heat back in 2014. So what they need to do is make some kind of progress along the way. Now Nate McMillan just got his contract extension signed and official this week, but there were all kinds of um, discussions and um, people wondering, you know, what ultimately would this mean if if you have another flame out, right? You can't have Five appear, or four appearances, excuse me, in the playoffs, and all of, all of them, you get ousted in the first round. Now, this is the first time they have home court advantage, quote unquote. So, um, th- th- there's that going. But I think for the Pacers, if they could advance past this first round, considering all the injuries, it would be a huge success. The fact that they went into the bubble, got the four seed, made it to the second round, considering all the injuries, that's what they're looking for. And I think for the Pacers, six um, uh, to win this series, you're gonna need Warren um, probably to have three or four big games, you're gonna have to rebound much better than they had. Um, and turnovers have really been a problem in recent games. They, the first three games, I think they turned it over 10 or less. Now it's been 18, 19, 20. Um, and then they have to prevent that big game I think from Jimmy Butler ultimately, um, is is what I, what I think about the series because I think there's a little bit of coaching, um, I thought it's notable, Ethan, the fact that when we talk to play, Pacer players, every one of them have started out, well, the Heat are a well-coached team. And mm-hmm. so I think that suggests here, hey, look, uh, Spolster has a little bit of an upper hand. They've been there. They've been to the playoffs a little bit before. Whereas guys like TJ Warren never experienced playoff. Mm-hmm. Holiday, been on the playoff. Justin Holliday, been in the playoffs, but never really been a key participant in it. So there's a lot of newness for this Pacers team. All right, Scott,
1: before we let you go, got to make a pick. Who do you like?
2: I wish I could take the Brian Windhorst way out of this and not make predictions (laughs) because that's the way I usually roll. But uh, (laughs) no, I really uh, thought about it. But if I had to make it, I'd probably take heat and six here. I think Pacers will get a couple. But ultimately, the three-point shooting, the speed and versatility is what jumps out to me with the heat. And the Pacers just don't have enough firepower just yet. All right. I don't let
1: Brian get away with that either. So we're not letting you get away with it. All right. <laughs> we, I, will, uh, we will not report that back to anybody in Indiana, but Heat fans will love you. So follow him at Scott Agnes. That's S-C-O-T-T-A-G-N-E-S-S. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott, for joining us. Uh, we'll bring on your buddy here in a second, but uh,
2: thanks for taking the time. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Scott.
1: want to introduce you to another of the great new sponsors of the five reasons sports network and it is a sponsor that would be important in any time if you want to have a beautiful workspace but it's especially important now when you need a safe one as well and that's safe cubbies.com, which offers modular office solutions designed to elevate your open office into a modern and safe environment at any budget. You can personalize your workspace with options like whiteboards, magnetic panels, acrylic sheets, and graphic branding. Most of the services are non-porous for easy cleaning and can be removed or replaced within minutes. Now, this is for workplaces. They've got a bunch of different options on their professional series, but also they've got private room solutions, dividers, and sneeze guards, and they have a classroom series as well so if you're involved with the school this is definitely something your school should check out of course if we have school in the fall and that's the point here we were entering a new normal period with COVID-19 safecubbies.com which is locally owned is the place that you want to go the phone number is 754-216-1071 again that's 754-216-1071 or safecubbies.com All right, welcome back to Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network. As I said, check out Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Channel, every day Monday through Friday, 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern, and also check out FiveReasonsSports.com. All right, we already had one guest. We had Scott Agnes. Uh, He's been covering the Pacers for a long time. Uh, This guy's been covering the NBA for a long time, and I know Heat fans have been following his reports because there's a particular interest in one of the Pacers players that he seems to have the best information on. He's J. Michael Falgus. You can find him at the Indy Star. Um, you used to cover the Wizards, right? What what teams did you cover prior to the Pacers?
5: Yeah, I did the Wizards prior to that. And before that, I did um, kind of, I did more of a national gig where I did a little bit across the, the country. I, it's kind of weird. I was living in the East Coast and I think I did more West Conference teams uh, probably for about, um, you know, a, a five or six year span. So I kind of jump around a little bit of everywhere. Um, but yeah, primarily in terms of Just beat team beats. You're looking at Pacers, and previously that was the Wizards.
1: The the Wizards, uh, because we are going to talk mostly Pacers, but ears perk up with the Wizards also. What was your what was your last year on the Wizards?
5: My last year was the their last playoff run when they lost to Boston in seven Um, series. They had no business losing, um, but that was 2017.
1: All right. Well, Greg's ears are going to perk up on that one. So I'm sure there's another player we'll probably talk to you about before this thing's over. But here's where I want to start with you, which is Victor Oladipo because this is one of the strangest things that I've seen. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, Jimmy Butler made it pretty clear. He wanted to play for the Miami Heat, but he did it through back channels. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Victor Oladipo is doing it on the court. Um, Can you give us some insight into where the relationship is with the Pacers right now, as you see it, and is he just flirting for fun, with with the heat and with Bam and and with Jimmy, or or is there something to this?
5: I'm gonna be honest. I don't get a lot of things Victor does, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think part of what he does, like if you if you're around him long enough, you'll see there are times where you can ask him a basic question, like you know, it's a nice day today, and he'll be like, "Well, is it nice?" Like he 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 gets he gets his jolly sometimes. I think on making, causing, like, um, a stir, and I think, if, I think for him, it's probably a little bit fun, but, you know, and he's being mischievous, but I think, especially if you've seen the way things were handled, going into the restart, how he said he was in, uh, then he said he, you know, he claimed, excuse me, he declared that he wouldn't, he wasn't sure if he's going to play, then he declared, he, you know, he was out, then he decided that, hey, I, I'm going to play, I was going to play all along all of this kind of stuff. Um, Victor has a little bit of that in him. And I think part of it comes from, you know, if you look at the arc of his career, nobody really paid attention to him until he blew up in 2017-18 season. And, you know, he was written off by a lot of folks. He was a, you know, a number two overall pick. He got bounced around a couple of teams, never really blossomed, didn't get the attention or the respect that he thought he deserved. And I think this is his chance to – say look at me and it's kind of grown to things beyond basketball and what's happening on the court. So you see stuff happening around the game. Um, you know, th- this is, you know, he's fallen into the, the idea where you see a lot of guys these days that, you know, I'm a brand. Um, and I understand that you're trying to maximize your money, but that's a fine line you got to walk. Um, and, you know, he was on a mass Singer. Um, he hired um, WME to represent him. Uh, in terms of his uh, interest to, to boost his profile, uh, you know, releasing records and things like that to try to show people he's more than a basketball player. So I think, believe it or not, all of those kinds of things feed into the Victor Oladipo that we see now, who's been flirting with the heat. Um, you know, I, I was told a long time ago, you know, if he leaves Indiana, Miami's the place that he's going to go. You know, he spends a lot of time down there, has a gym down there as it is um, and has an affinity for the place. So, uh yeah, it's – look, if, if he leaves and he goes – if he leaves Indiana and goes anywhere other than Miami, I'd be I'd be really surprised. But, of course, let's face it, he's got to show that he is the Victor Oladipo of old uh, by the time he comes off this contract. He has to play through next year um, for him to be that in that kind of demand. And physically, at least from what I see, even though he's gotten better, he's not quite there yet. So could he be putting a cart before the horse with that? I don't know. But um, I, I just – to see what Victor's doing with the in Miami with the Heat players and stuff like that I just see that as kind of almost on message with him because I think he kind of he kind of likes that Um, and even though it may cause chaos with with Pacers fans in Indiana because they go crazy when they see it
6: yeah hey Jay this is Greg Sylvander it definitely has caused chaos with uh, Pacers Twitter specifically And, and a question I have is um, you, We know how close Oladipo has been with Dwayne and we've seen his affinity for Miami. He's, you know, spent time in the off season there and obviously was huddled around the entire team at half court after the, the, you know, the game or so ago, but how much of it do you think is Oladipo publicly putting pressure on Indiana ownership to spend money? I think it's a longstanding league wide assumption that The Pacers kind of have been tight with money and there's been opportunities to add superstars to their core in the past and they've passed on it basically for luxury tax reasons. So how much of it do you think is his legitimate interest in coming to Miami and playing with the guys that are in Miami versus him publicly making sure that Indiana ownership is – that, you know, Simon and and, and all the rest of them are 100% clear that he wants them to spend money to win? I mean, I think –
5: I, look, I see both sides of the whole thing about Indiana spending money. They always have – look, there's this expectation on Kevin Pritchard, which is the president, which is to make the playoffs every year but keep a bottom five, bottom ten payroll. And that, that's hard. That's really hard to pull off. Um, and, and so, yeah, so that's where the reputation obviously comes from with the Pacers and Herb Simon being, being cheap comes from, and understandably so. But, you know, they're in a small market. Um, they're in a market where the, the one thing the Pacers can't do that other teams can do is completely tank and, you know, blow away, piss away a few seasons and expect people to still support the team. Because based on what they believe, and, and I've, gained, I've gotten this from multiple people uh, with knowledge of how the thinking is there, is that they believe if they were to do something like that and completely deconstruct and try to do, say, what Philadelphia has done, the fan base will leave them. So it may get them gains long term, uh, uh, even the short term play of, you know, blowing away seasons and then spending all this money later. They think it's going to hurt them long term and they're not going to get those fans back, even if they are good again. Um, And so they're kind of they're kind of worried about that sort of thing. So I think with Oladipo, I don't know if it's as much money that he wants them to spend. Um, You know, Herb Simon was instrumental in nixing the deal. You know, I reported a couple of years ago that they had a deal lined up for Mike Conley to come at the trade deadline. It fell through because Herb Simon didn't want to pay what Conley, you know, the kind of money Connolly was going to be due to be paid. Um, and I think, common sense-wise, it's it's turned out to be the right move because, you know, is Connolly a 30-something million-dollar-a-year player? No. I think they'd spend the money but they're not going to spend it as easily or as quickly as some other teams that can afford to – they can't afford to miss. And especially coming out of this kind of pandemic where revenues are down, you don't have attendance, there's even less money. And then, you know, the Simons own a bunch of shopping malls, right? That's where a lot of the money comes from. So that revenue is down. I don't, I don't see them going out and, and having some bonanza spending spree to prove something to Oladipo as a result of him doing some of these things. They've had an open door policy, I've been told for the last year, year and a half, Victor, if you wanna work out an extension, we'll give you an extension whenever you want it. But of course, Oladipo wants to wait because he can get more years and more money by becoming an unrestricted free agent. That's what they expect. They're willing to pay Victor every penny that he wants. Even if he's not the victor of 2017, I think they would come to a deal. If Victor wants to say yes, Sustain. They're willing to pay him at this point, so that's really not the issue with the Pacers of paying him. Um, they, um, I mean, look. Did, I don't know if you guys heard the 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 report. You know, it wasn't really a report. Paul George saying on a podcast they had a deal lined up to bring in a superstar, and mm-hmm. the Pacers didn't want to pay the money. And I mm-hmm. kind of had a report out there saying that player was Anthony Davis. I confirmed through multiple people it was Anthony Davis. It wasn't. Wow. As, it not <laughs> to being done as Paul George made it seem. Uh, because if I'm not mistaken, Davis had a year or something left on his deal. I can't remember if it was a year or two. But basically, the Pacers would have had to unload the entire roster, and the roster wasn't that good to begin with, uh, as well as a bunch of future picks to get him. And they knew he was going to go to L.A. anyway. So mm-hmm. it kind of bleeds into this reputation of, well, they just didn't want to pay the money. They could have had Anthony Davis Paul George, but they wouldn't have had much else on the team, definitely wouldn't have had a bench, and they knew that he was going to be going to the LA Lakers the minute he, be, he could become an unrestricted free agent. So part of it is a reputation that's deserved because they keep a bottom payroll. Um, but the other part is they're in a tight spot, you know, that a lot of these smaller markets go through and it's just not as easy for them as it is for, for a larger market. But Oladipo definitely, I was told this by multiple people on both sides, you know, Oladipo wants to get the maximum money he can possibly get. And he wants to win, and by winning, he wants to win in more than a regular season. So, however, the Pacers are able to get there, getting out of the first round and beating upset Miami would be a good start to this. But if they want to convince him to stay, that's those are the two things that he needs long term to say, "I want to still be in the Indiana Pacers uniform."
1: But Jay, but Jay, I mean, that sounds like almost an impossible task because if you're, in a couple of ways, first thing, if you're telling Pritchard. You know, to do this with a bottom ten payroll every year, and at the same time, you're basically telling—I mean, you Vic wants to be Max, but he wants to win big. But if you're Vic, if you're maxing Vic, and Vic is not the Vic of 2017, you're restricting yourself in other ways because it's hard, its harder to get players to an Indiana than it is to get players to a Miami that I, I don't even think that these things are possible, right? I mean, the, the the team that was built in Indiana the last time that pushed the big three heat but couldn't get through them, I mean, was, was primarily a, a homegrown team. I mean, right? I mean, it was – I mean, West was brought in, obviously. Uh, but Stevenson was, was from there. Paul George was drafted by them. Danny Granger was drafted by them. I mean, that was, that was a homegrown group. Um, I mean, Roy was drafted by them, right? So, I mean, that – so, I mean, I mean you have to hit on all your – if you're a franchise like Indiana, you got to hit on all those kind of middle picks. They're never going to be bad enough because they're well-run and well-coached. They're never going to be bad enough to sink all the way to the bottom, and the fans there won't tolerate it and won't come. So you have to kind of do what Kevin Pritchard's doing, but, but you're never going to get the top five pick, and you're not going to get the premium free agent. And so it almost seems to me like Vic's asking for the impossible here, and then – it comes back to this, I guess, and this is the question we're all dancing around, and I think this applies to the Heat. If there, there is actually serious interest from the Heat, is Vic going to get back to 2007, Vic? Because, I mean, that season was an outlier in his career, and then he got hurt. So, I mean, how, what is the upside for him? Will he ever get back to that level?
5: I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I would say, and here's the other thing we got to consider. By the time his contract, the one he's currently playing on, is done, he's going to be uh, 29 going into 30. So that's the other thing you're looking at, too. So if you're going to give a five-year deal to a guy who's going to be on the downside of his career by the time it ends, that's the other thing you also have to think about. Um, Injury or no injury that he's coming off of. So I think that compounds the issues going forward. But I I couldn't agree more. I keep thinking to myself, like, I know the Pacers feel like they have to pay him and keep him uh, because it's so hard to get guys the caliber of Oladipo there to begin with. Uh, and that's kind of driving i think some of the thinking whereas let's face it if if this if, if this were the LA Lakers or even the Knicks as bad as they've been and they were in a situation with a player like well the Knicks probably would still give him a, a a max deal coming off of a bad injury yes they would <laughs> yes. yes they would <laughs> yes, that, that they example. double max him if it was possible <laughs> you know responsible teams in big markets okay like you know so like the Lakers would they be like you know what it's like a bus another a a, a better player as good of a player if not a better player is going to come along in five minutes and we're going to be fine whereas the Pacers don't have that sort of luxury so yes they got to knock their draft picks out the park I mean Paul George is what number 10 in the lottery a good you know obviously a high pick but wasn't considered to be on the level with the guys who usually pick one two and three and they they got they were fortunate with that one and knocked that one out the park, but they got to, they got to be great in free agency, which is hard. Uh, And, uh, and that's generally not going to happen. So the only other two areas where you can guarantee that maybe you can do things right is the draft and then the trademark and to be able to get guys to come. But yeah, I agree. I think checking all of those boxes, uh, whether you, if you're the Pacers, man, that is a hell of a position to be in. Um, And it, it, it it's tough. And the thing with Oladipo is, you know, I, I was, I just did a breakdown. Um, I just filed a breakdown for Indy Star about what the Pacers have to do in order to flip the script on Miami in, in the postseason. And the last item I almost forgot to add was on Oladipo and, you know, they can't put him, you know, defensively, as it, good of a team defender as he is, Defensively right now, you can't put him on guys that he's got to chase a lot. You can't you can't switch and put him on bigger guys the way you can do with some other elite players. He's gonna get he's gonna he's not big and strong enough. And aside from the fact that with his knee offensively, we still don't know if offensively he can be what he was in 2017, on top of what I think are potential defensive liabilities as well. So yeah, they would be rolling the dice uh on Victor. But you know what would make it really easy for him is if Victor in 2020-21 has a terrible season or obviously you know if the worst case scenario happens if he re-injures himself you know nobody wants to see that happen but if something like that happened then obviously that makes the decision to move on from him easier or to get him at a cheaper price easier and or, or easier to digest for the franchise but yeah you're right I don't know if you can serve all of those masters at once and that's That's asking a whole lot. You're gonna have to sell your soul to the devil, I think, to pull that one
6: off. All right, we're gonna. Pat Riley is licking his chops. Pat (laughs) Riley is licking his chops. But
5: I don't even know. And after the
1: break, I mean, I want to get to another player that you covered uh, because, uh, you know, if if Pat's licking his chops, I think more about somebody else. To me, Vic's kind of a fallback option, which is making the public flirting kind of amusing because (laughs) I'm I'm not even sure that Vic at this stage where he is, and I, I like Vic and I love Vic's game, but I don't even know if, if where he is at this stage, health-wise and recovery-wise is even what the Heat necessarily needs. So we're going to talk about that in a second. Before we do, we want to tell you about another great sponsor of the Five Reasons Sports Network. That's our friend at State Farm, Louie Peters. This is an agency representing the number one auto and home insurer in the entire United States. More than 60 years of combined experience in the insurance industry. These are local agents that understand South Florida's unique market. They've got access 24-7, so you can't walk in. Make sure you call in or click in. The phone number is 305 275 55853052755585 five, five, oh, five, the website is louispeters.com that's l u i s p e t e r s.com and the office is in Miami on southwest 117th avenue but again make the call 305 275 5585 louispeters.com all right um i do want to get to bradley Beal with you a little bit because I, I know that you have some history there. But I, I want to ask a question we asked of Scott Agnes at the beginning, because I haven't totally gotten to the bottom of this, except to hear that there is friction between Bam Adebayo and Miles Turner, and it's kind of the story under the surface here, as everybody's talking about Jimmy and TJ. Do you know anything about it specifically? Because I, I have heard it predated uh, their time at the, uh, in Vegas, when, at, when ultimately Bam was cut and Miles was kept.
5: I, I'm I'm not sure about all the details on that, and you know what's making it really difficult? Obviously, this whole quarantine thing and not being able to get to players the way we normally. Yeah. Normal. Yep. That's complicated. Because <laughs> yeah. that. if it weren't for that, if it were for that, I would have had to answer it for you on that yesterday. <laughs> um, but I, I'm not I'm not sure. Yeah. But you know what? Um, that that's going to be one of the things I think I can pull off uh, accomplishing this week to get a direct answer because I I have a couple sources there that can. Uh, can, 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 can spell it out for me. I'm not, I'm not sure about that, but I'm gonna tell you right now, Bam, when he plays against Miles plays really angry. I guess he does that against a lot of guys, but, um, he's on Miles Turner in that matchup quite often lately. So, um, Miles better bring it.
3: And there was that question, uh, I want to say like two, three days ago where I don't remember the exact context of the question. I mentioned this with Scott as well, where basically, uh, they brought up Miles Turner in some context to Bam and he kind of described himself as one of one, which is famously, I think his Instagram handle. And he kind of just broke down why he's, you know, one of one. And there was something about it. It's like, he does, he, I don't think he appreciated the comparison. <laughs> so I think there is something to it.
5: Yeah. 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 Well, you know, Miles, Uh, you know, he's, the funny thing is like, you know, I, I know we can get in this a little bit in depth a little bit later, but the. You know, watching the way the Heat and the Pacers play against one another, um, man, for me, Adebayo is, is like, the huge factor the Adebayo-Turner matchup because, um, you know, if you look at that last game, not the one that was played Friday, but the one that was played Monday, the one where, you know, the actual players were on the floor. Um, I don't think the Pacers showed exactly how they're going to attack the heat. Now, I don't know whatever methods they use are going to be successful, but they purposely hunted Adebayo by putting him in every ball screen. Yep. Malcolm Brown got him on switches. T.J. Warren got him on switches. Here you are, you got Duncan Robinson guarding somebody over there. There's no rule that says you got to go to a 1-5, a 2-5, a 3-5 pick and roll. Go hunt out somebody not named Bam Adebayo on that floor. They kept switch getting switches on him and trying to attack him one-on-one I guess, to see if the dam would break, and it never did. He absolutely destroyed just about everything. And if you look at the games, for instance, December 27th, the, one, the first time they met this season, uh, and I granted, Sabonis was playing, therefore Bam was guarding Tor- Turner, who was playing more outside. They didn't never went at Bam in a ball screen. They stayed away from him completely, which kind of tells me they're probing for stuff to kind of see what things they think they can get away with and what they can't get away with. But Turner being able to spread from three and Bam's defensive presence, being able to pull him out of the paint is to me the key to the series. Because you can pull him away from the rim, I think that opens up things for other guys to be able to get loose like Brogdon, like Edmund Sumner, like Aaron Holiday, these speed guys that can get to the rim and finish.
1: Do you know, uh, we asked Scott this same question, and, and I think Scott gave the same answer that, that a lot of people have related to the TJ-Jimmy thing, The TJ's a quiet guy and just felt basically disrespected uh, by Jimmy. wouldn't be the first who felt disrespected by Jimmy, but Jimmy won't stop. I mean, he stopped today on the conference call, but <laughs> he paused, I would say. But, I mean, the Instagram stuff was just brutal. Um, I'll ask you the same question I asked Scott. How, how is TJ handling this?
5: TJ is like – I've known TJ since he was uh, 15. I first met him when he was 15 years old. Um, he trained, he was playing for uh, David West's his AU, AAU program and uh, called Garner Road, and um, you couldn't get two words out of TJ then. But he was at that time, you know, he ended up going to NC State, and that was one of the schools on his short list at the time. TJ is the same kid, the same guy now that he was when he was a kid when he was 15. To me, the way he speaks, his demeanor, everything about him, nothing has changed from what I've seen. Um, and but at the same time, there's a, there's a fire inside of him. Um, I kind of relate it. It's like, uh, he, he, he's, he's just like, even when he had that 53 point game against Philadelphia to open the restart for the Pacers, like, you know, I was talking to guys and they said, you said TJ said nothing. Like, you know, he wasn't bumping his chest. He wasn't patting himself on the back. It's like, you know, he, here he is having a 53 point game, you know, lighting up social media with everything he's doing and, throughout the whole game, he said maybe two words. So that's just, his his demeanor is, is exactly what it appears to be. But I think, you know, he's not fronting when he's being like, so the fact that he actually got into that shouting match with Jimmy, you know, in front of everybody was a little bit shocking because that means Jimmy really got under his skin. But TJ has to, like, he, the one thing this season that's been really surprising to a lot of people is that, even though he still has his lapses on team defense, that his individual defense has been significantly better than anything I ever saw him do in Phoenix. And I watched him a lot. Um, and so he, he's, a, he, he, he's a hardworking two-way kind of guy. And I think Jimmy, you know, the fact that Jimmy was able to get under his skin and cause him to blow up like that, 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 was, that was pretty impressive because he's about the only guy that I've seen been able to do that to T.J. Warren.
3: Okay, so I uh, wanted to ask here about the Heat-Pacers series. Uh, we know that the the seating kind of just got inverted with that last game where the Heat didn't really play anybody. Like you mentioned, we didn't really see the Pacers give it their full shot uh, strategically versus the Heat, and I think the, uh, the Heat are kind of – they tested some things out, but could probably say something similar. What I did want to ask about was your general feelings on the, on the matchup, but not only that as well as how you feel about – the Pacers running a five-out lineup, but that's a bonus, how it'll match up versus the Heat, who allow a lot of threes. And I think that will be kind of the the swing, in my opinion, the swinging key factor for the Pacers is if they hit a lot of threes, they can kind of make it a real toss-up with the Heat because the Heat allows so many. And although the, they don't, the Pacers don't take a lot, they're in the bottom of the league, like Scott Agnes had mentioned it with us uh, before you came on. They can kind of take advantage of that. And the Heat also give up a lot of mid-range jumpers, which T.J. Warren likes to take. You know, Brockton and depot are willing to take them as well. How do you feel about that? And, again, your general feelings on the matchup?
5: Yeah, the matchup I think is going to be a lot more competitive than the regular season series. I'm still going to lean a little bit towards the heat. Uh, if you ask me if I had to pick somebody, I mean, granted, with this restart, there's so many quirky variables in play. I'm not sure how things are going to work out. But um, I think, yeah, um, the, the, when, when you look at when the play, Pacers played well against them, even in the games they lost. I'm, I only really care about, for me, when I analyze how they match up, I really only care about December 27th and January 8th. Because those are the two games for me where we saw those two teams playing. What we saw in the re, in the bubble, I think, was just, you know, not, not quite the same thing. Uh, well,
3: you see, the thing there is that the Heat have kind of switched to a switch-heavy defense by starting Jay Crowder, whereas before they were dropping a lot with Myers Leonard. I think that's the one thing. And obviously, of course, the bonus injury Makes a huge difference on the well, series, but they
5: didn't. They didn't have uh, Oladipo or Malcolm Brogdon for either one of those games, either.
3: Exactly. That's why I think it's so hard to evaluate this matchup. A lot of Heat fans are really cocky. and By the way, I was too. I'm not gonna lie. I've kind of, after digesting a little bit more Pacers content and seeing that, you know, I think these two teams are almost evenly matched and would be evenly matched if the Pacers were healthy. I think it'll be interesting, and I think they have to take advantage of some gaps that the Heat are gonna give them there.
5: Well. Uh, the- let me tell you, though, it's consistent, though, like, you know, the, the Heat using zone against the Pacers, they went away from that after the first game. Yep. They weren't on the zones as much because the Pacers do well with that. They'll area screen, run aside, pick and roll. T.J. Warren or whoever's on the wing would make a timely cut and right in that little pocket and get that elbow jump shot, which was right in there. Those are the kind of shots the Pacers really want. So the, the, the Heat seemed to have gone away from some of that, knowing that's how the Pacers knew how to exploit that. The one thing I actually think that's significant, you know, Jeremy Lamb just absolutely torched Duncan Robinson every which way <laughs> when he had the ball in, in, in those first two meetings, particularly first meeting. Obviously, Lamb is out with a leg injury. But, you know, it, regardless of who's on the floor, you have to make Duncan Robinson guard somebody. You have to make Tyler Hero try to guard Edmund Sumner. Uh, both guys, even going under one on the screen, still get beat off the dribble uh, by Aaron Holiday, by Edmund Sumner, guys like that. So they, they have some weak links. Adebayo covers a lot of stuff. Jimmy Butler covers up a lot of stuff. Uh, so it, I think it's going to be an interesting chess match because of that. Um, and you're right. Myers Leonard coming out there, um, you know, you put, him in a, you put him in a pick and roll action with Duncan Robinson. And, you know, you could pick whichever guy you want to score the basketball, the ball handler or the guy or the roller. Both guys had a really good chance of scoring because of that. So uh, there's a lot of stuff. I think this, you know, and and I've, I've always thought, by the way, Eric Spolster is a top three coach in the league. I felt that way when he was winning championships uh, with LeBron in the big three. And I think people didn't give him a lot of credit for the kind of stuff he did. So, I mean, I've always been a huge uh, Eric Spolster fan uh, as a result. But, yeah, I could see – I see this as a six, maybe seven. I think I picked the Heat in seven when someone asked me. So I, I'm gonna, to be consistent, I'm going to stay with that.
1: All right, let's let's uh, let's switch to your former team that you covered here for a second because there's interest in another two-guard. And uh, we, we've had our friend Candace Buckner here on the pod. And uh, w- before Bradley Beal signed that, uh, that extension that kind of took him out of play here for a little bit of time, I had some fun with Candace about it because uh, you know, she was pretty, pretty confident that, uh, that Bradley wasn't going anywhere for a while, that he, he bought into the rebuilding program there. I know you haven't covered him day-to-day in the past three years but he is other than Giannis you know the apple of Heat fans eyes right like I mean he he's the guy that they feel is kind of the final piece to this thing how likely just in what you know of Brad do you think he he wants to stick it out there and let's say you just add Bradley Beal to this Heat roster right now even if um, let's say you have to give up uh you know two out of three between hero nunn and robinson although i know know we're going to get protestations from the other guys here on the pod if i throw hero and robinson in there but is bradley beal the piece to get the heat to win a championship
5: i'd give up all three if i had to Mm -hmm. uh yeah i look people gotta understand my my affinity for Beal. i was on the Beal bandwagon when he was averaging 13 points a game and people thought he was just a catch and shoot player uh And it was more of a product back then of how he was used in the offense, not so much. Because I I saw the kind of stuff that he did um, when he had a chance to put the ball in his hands. So, um, you know, look, Bradley Beal is, you know, and, and he didn't play good defense this year. I mean, let's face it, nobody on the Wizards played good defense this year. He's a scoring machine. But during the time I was there, he was the most defensively responsible guard they had. Because he never, he rarely got beat by his man off the bounce. And he's at, so he's actually a two-way player um, when he's at his absolute best. And I think having him on an actual good team, um, will, will, it, you'll start to see some of that again. Um, but, I, yeah, I'd give up any combination of those three players. It doesn't really matter to me to get Beal because Beal, unlike Robinson, can guard other people. Um, uh, Beal can obviously shoot the three, but he can shoot the three in more ways than catch and shoot. He can kill you off the bounce. He can one foot, he can two foot stop and hit it. Um, he can run the pick and roll. I mean, I mean there's nothing that that guy can't do well and his, his finishing's got better uh, at the rim. Look, and he's just a stone cold killer. So I don't understand why like Bill signed that extension, but if he was that committed, he would have signed, look, he, he would have, he would have tried to sign and stay there for a longer term. And, yep. by, and by the way, there's no rule. You know it's the best time for a player to force a trade once he has a guaranteed contract where he can get moved somewhere. That, people make it seem like because a guy signed a deal, it's impossible for him to want out or want a trade. No, his goal is to get the money first, and then you can force your way out. Everything, exactly. that, everything that I know and, – and it's kind of funny you mentioned Beal because last week I was just talking to someone uh, – uh, who would know <laughs> about him some folks in dc um and look th- there's what he says publicly that he's happy uh, he's about to hit that part of his career where how much longer do you want to be on a team that's you know winning 30 35 games has no shot at getting out of the first round much less making the playoffs and he gets really angry at losing um, and he's not going to want to tolerate that. The question is when John Wall comes back and Brad has to share the team again, where he's not just the man, what happens? Because I'm going to tell you something that did happen. I, I did, I had to report you, you know, what, four, about four years ago about John and Brad having issues. Right. And immediately after I do that, counter-programming comes out where some reporters have, People plant stories saying, oh, they're all cool. They're cool with each other. That's not true. Uh, Part of my French. That was bullshit. Uh-huh. You know, I know it's bullshit because when I saw those players, after I wrote what I reported, they dapped me up and said hello, never came to me and said I had anything wrong, were never mad at me. You know why? Because every single detail in there was true. They almost they, – they, they had heated words after a game in Memphis after John took a final shot that Brad, the play was called for Brad. Brad had the hot hand. It was his career high at that point. He had made something like 12 or 14 shots, and Wall took the shot. He just went away from the play. They got they got into an argument after a preseason game against a Brazilian national team. A Brazilian national team game. They got, they got angry. <laughs> they had been frosty. So it's, it's like one of those things when things are going good, everybody's kumbaya, yeah, we're cool, but... Deep down, that undercurrent where you have to be behind the scenes, it's a completely different atmosphere, and you can see the body language and the tone being totally different. I'm curious to see when John comes back, have they been able to kind of get past that? And I think part of the issue they had is under previous management, uh, with Grun- and I love Ernie Grunfeld personally, but nobody ever put their foot down and say, guys, cut it out, right? Nobody, they just kind of say, well, just let the coach figure it out. and and the coach really couldn't figure it out because he's busy trying to win games and do X's and O's. And meanwhile, you got to manage all this drama over here. And then it spills over players in the locker room, take sides against each other and all hell breaks loose.
6: And that's that's what happened. It kind of sounds like Bradley Beal um, would be a fan of, of heat culture actually. Um, (laughs) But you know, something that, that struck me as we've talked is, you know, you've been around Oladipo, you've been around Bradley Beal. And both of them have close connections to Dwayne Wade. And I, I guess when you have conversations with, with guys around the league or directly with Oladipo and Beale, how much does the affinity for Dwayne and the relationship with Dwayne and maybe what what, what D. Wade says about the organization in Miami, how much do you think that helps in these type of scenarios where guys may start to, you know, have eyes for the heat? Um, so I'm interested to hear that part of it. And then uh, I'm going to sneak one in here. Uh, who do you like better as a, fr- as a franchise leader, Bradley Beal or Donovan Mitchell? Oh, boy, that's a good one. Um, all right, I'll answer the first part
5: first. Um, I think, the, the, the you know, because Dwayne can kind of, you know, vouch for the organization in ways and, it, you know, uh, in terms of what the heat culture is like. You know, it's always good to have an ambassador like that, so obviously that, that can only help you. Uh, but I think guys like Beal, guys like Oladipo, I think they really respect that. Because that's the one thing that Brad and Victor have in common. I think the, the work ethic, the, the holding people responsible. And I, I think that's where things, at least when I was just talking about what happened in D.C., it's not that John and Brad are bad guys. I love them. You know, I love both of them. I, I like a lot of things about both of them. But if you don't have that culture in place to kind of uh, that, that tone set, they didn't really have that leadership there that kind of say, hey, this is the way things are done and this is the way they're not done and this is what isn't going to be tolerated. I think guys like Brad and Victor look for that. And some players may rebel against it and they want to stay away from it because it's not them. I think those kind of guys gravitate towards that sort of culture. Uh, so I, I think that's a good thing. That's a huge plus in, in, favor, of, uh, in favor of Miami. Um, better leader, you said Beal or Donovan Mitchell? Uh, that's a tough one. Um I don't know.
6: Probably man. Hey, why don't you tell me? Who who do you pick? Uh, it's interesting you say that. I, I would probably lean Donovan Mitchell just a, a little bit. Um, but it it has a lot to do with, you know, contracts and things like that. So it gets, if we're talking about purely on the court, I think it's a, it's a pretty even match, but those are the two names when we talked about Oladipo kind of being on the back burner in terms of heat targets, the two names that are on the forefront are Bradley Beal and Donovan Mitchell. So, you know, when you mentioned earlier that you spent a lot of time covering West coast teams, even though you were on the East, I figure we may as well sneak one in on Donovan too. Yeah. Here's what I say about Donovan that I do. Like, I would probably give a slight edge if you
5: said leadership because, you know, everybody talks about this about Mitchell. Every GM, every person, you know, talked to Donovan in pre-draft when he rocketed up the charts. People, you know, the two guys who were the most blown, up, who blew away front offices when it came to these pre-draft meetings that I hear the most, the most eloquently things said about Donovan Mitchell, Malcolm Brogdon, those two guys that they just, floored people with their maturity uh and so because of that I would probably put give Donovan a slight edge the, the here's the one thing about Brad Bradley Beal that you have to take into consideration with personality as well he he can be passive-aggressive and so can John Wall be passive-aggressive which is I think sometimes why they clash um and hold things in and um So, I think, you know, I don't know since I haven't been in the locker room with him recently, I don't know where he's grown in that regard. But that's one area that I thought he always could get better, that, you know, in terms of being a better leader. And I think probably with John being out for the last basically year and a half to two years, um, that he's gotten better. I can only assume he's gotten better, but I don't know that for a fact with him that he's gotten better. Uh, So, as a result, I would put a little bit more, if you said leadership, probably on Donovan Mitchell, but my goodness, man. I'm, 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 I'm one of, I'm probably Bradley Beal's number one fan outside of his wife. His game is just, (laughs) I just, yeah, I've, I've been a fan for a while. All right. This, uh, this pod took a good
1: direction. Uh, so uh, heat fans are going to be uh, all into this. Uh, and also if they knew right now that the shirt that you threw on here, you got, you got a U shirt as you're talking to us here on the zoom. So,
5: <laughs> Oh, you know what? That was, by, that was not by design. I forgot about that. that- <laughs>
1: it's all right. It, it, uh, it, applies down here. I know everybody appreciates it um, except Alex. Cause he's an, he's an FAU guy, FIU guy. Sorry. Not no an FAU guy, an FIU guy. Uh, follow him. Could you please give me your Twitter handle again? Cause I always screw it up. It's this is Jay michael is that correct This
5: is the letter j michael yep
1: all right sounds good this is j michael j michael Falgas. you can follow at the indie store um hopefully well I, the heat, heat fans are hoping this is not a long series but it, if it is a long series we might we might call on you again thanks for doing this man appreciate
5: it no problem anytime
2: thank you for listening to the five on the floor on the fire regional sports next